It's Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. I'm Stephen Fee, and this is The Pen Pod, a limited-run podcast from Pen America. On today's edition, we talk to Alex Kasprak of Snopes.com, the world's biggest fact-checking website, about disinformation, Americans' information diet, and the bad info that lurks online, then debuts from black LGBTQIA authors. I'm Stephen Fee, all that coming up on The Pen Pod. Snopes.com is the definitive fact check website full stop. Before we heard about fake news and disinformation, Snopes was myth busting and fact checking all the chain emails and internet myths that popped up throughout the 1990s. Today, their role couldn't be more crucial. Uh, I'm joined now by Snopes senior writer Alex Kasprak. Hey, Alex. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Good. No, thank you for being here. So, Alex, I mean, I just. Give me a sense of what it's been like working at Snopes these last few months. Like, what could a typical day possibly be like for you guys? Yeah, so it's hard to uh, overstate how dramatically things have sort of been turned upside down at Snopes. The volume of, you know, requests for debunkers, the volume of misinformation in general, the number of eyes on our website. Right. All of that has been... um, absolutely overwhelming um you know we've been i I guess like in march and april sort of during the peak of covid misinformation uh you know we were getting roughly ten thousand email requests uh you know both in march and april which is uh you know much higher than than our email requests normally are from like two or three thousand per month, mm-hmm. um, and that's not even including all of the other places you can, you know, request debunks on uh, Facebook and other social media platforms. Um, yeah, and you know, we March twenty twenty was the was the largest month viewership wise in Snopes's you know twenty five year history. So um, wow. On, on just from a number standpoint, it's been crazy. From a sort of personal standpoint, um, it has been overwhelming. I think for for all of us as well. Um, you know, it it it's just sort of a a fire hose of misinformation, and uh, there's just not enough of us to to tackle it all. Um, yeah. I- I can't imagine. I mean, ten thousand inquiries a day is just overwhelming. Oh no, that, not a day. That's uh, that's uh, COVID claims per month. Oh, I see. Uh, Still, ten thousand a month is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's only a fraction of the overall requests. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's wild, and I think uh, with COVID nineteen, that was a really unique. Uh, infodemic, you know, as it's been labeled, uh, you know, lots of times international events generate tons of misinformation and lots of controversy online. Sure. But this, um, this was different for a whole host of reasons, you know, mostly just because it was a novel virus, uh, that, you know, we had little information about at first, there was mixed messaging, there was hidden information at first. So, um, you know, all of that was there. And there was this, uh, you could sort of 
sense like more of a palpable fear and and uh and concern i guess in a lot of the the types of requests coming in and also the types of activity um that you know were occurring online people sharing things just to share things because they thought it would help even though it had fake information that kind of thing Right, right. And, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's never been clearer that disinformation is a life or death proposition. I mean, with COVID-19, obviously, and now, of course, with, you know, the violence being visited on, on black yeah. citizens in the United States and the amount of disinformation that's now circulating about uh, protests and demonstrations and, and, and all these things. I mean, it really feels so high stakes. I mean, I didn't mean to disparage you all. Like I was I was yeah. a Snopes person in the 90s. Like I was using it to fact check, you know, crazy chain emails. But it, 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 it the stakes really feel high now. It's a ton of pressure, yes, uh, because we don't want to get it wrong. Getting things wrong can cause tremendous harm, uh, both to people, you know, for health reasons, both, you know, inciting anger, uh, also, just the notion that if we mess up, we discredit the notion of fact-checking, which is sort of an area that some people politically would like to, to get rid of. So, you know, every fact-check kind of feels like an existential threat sometimes. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's been, it's been a really... Uh, harrowing sort of a uh, couple of months in, in, in terms of just personal yeah. stress and, and staff work and all that. No, I can imagine. I mean, I, I guess, you know, you, you come at this as an investigative journalist, as a science writer. I mean, what do you think? I mean, so on the one hand, we've got sort of the, 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 the feed, we've got the fire hose of information coming in and distortions and disinformation and misinformation, all that. But then you have on the receiving end, you know, an American public that, you know, increasingly there's this idea of shared truth or the idea of yeah. like shared understanding of facts has completely broken down. I mean, how is that changing how you do your job? Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of the, the central issue uh, underlying all of our work, uh, sort of this notion that objective reality is something that exists and can be known. Um, you know, that notion was never controversial to me. Um, right. But, um, you know, you could make the argument perhaps that it seems as though fewer and fewer people believe in, in the concept of objective reality. That's one hypothesis. I think an equally valid way to look at it is probably um that bad actors have gotten good at making uh you know truth seem like so complex to figure out that it's virtually um not there and it's not worth seeking out so you have this yeah. vacuum where you know you believe what you want to believe and ignore what you don't um and, you know, social media has enabled that to a massive scale. Um, but really, it's just, I mean, you know, working at Snoops, you see patterns all the time. You know, the same types of misinformation will come up after the same types of news events all the time. These are just uh, tricks that thanks to social media, people know how to use 
to manipulate other individuals, to manipulate the media, to manipulate uh, whatever. And uh, and that, you know, a shared reality is, you know, obviously um, crucial for, you know, democracies to survive and uh, for, you know, there to be an informed citizenry and, and all of that. So it's, it's extremely dangerous, extremely frustrating. And, uh, you know, there's, there really isn't, uh, you know, a silver bullet sort of solution out there at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I guess there, there's, there's that feeling of like desperation and feeling overwhelmed. I mean, you guys can't fact check everything. I mean, 10,000 emails in a month, (laughs) you know, let's even, even if it's less than that, you, you can't process everything. I mean, what is the, what is the kind of. I mean, is there an end game here? <laughs> like, like, yeah, you know, yeah. is it just that you're, you're trying to identify patterns? I mean, what is it that you feel like, you know, if you're just throwing up these sandbags, like, how do you feel like you're making progress? Yeah, sometimes we don't, uh, but, uh, <laughs> fair, fair, you know, I would say, yeah, I mean, so I think the bottom line is that a fact-checking organization like Snopes is not going to single-handedly solve uh, a misinformation crisis that's happening right now. Um, and I don't think, you know, the process of individually debunking separate claims is important and crucial and it's our bread and butter, but that um, sort of repeated kind of work is is not in the long term going to to get at these issues of sort of radicalized ideas on social media you know the problem is that the incentives for truth are non-existent Mm -hmm. uh you know in a lot of um just economically in a lot of ways you know uh sensationalized headlines get better clicks people don't read articles you know there you know there's no real market for nuance because nuance doesn't right. get doesn't get shares on facebook um and so we need to uh you know i think and this is something snopes has been doing on the investigative side is is tackling not only individual claims but organization groups and networks that push um, misinformation on a larger scale. So in addition to fact-checking, we, we, you know, have history taking down, um, sort of misinformation networks on a larger scale. Uh, at the end, again, in December of 2019, we published a series of investigations on a, sort of a this like pro-trump media outlet that went by the name the bl or the beauty of life Hmm. and uh you know we reported that it was actually connected to the epic times um which had been dinged for violating a variety of facebook rules already um and then we discovered that it was essentially this tiny operation run you know out of middletown new york that uh was using a massive army of fake Vietnamese profiles to impersonate Americans to fill groups with, to then distribute their content as if real Americans were uh, <laughs> pushing it. Um, and so, you know, and all these pages and groups and networks, you know, run by a handful of 
actual real humans um, ended up creating, you know, uh, a Facebook sort of network with a reach of like 55 million users. Um, but uh, Facebook took that down after reporting. So that was, you know, that's progress that we can uh, hang our hat on, I suppose. But, you know, Absolutely. I think you know, we need a lot more of that. You know, you need to take down um, the systems that produce it and not the individual claims. Sure. Uh, uh, in the you know at the end of the day, in terms of structural change to the misinformation world. Well, you guys are are certainly doing a, a heroic work and chipping away at all of this. Um, if I may, just because you know, hey, we're a literary podcast, dang it. Um, what are you reading right now? Oh, uh, so I just finished uh, Adam Goodhart's 1861: The Civil War Awakening. Yeah. Um, which was uh, great, but um, I'm looking for. A new book. I read a lot of nonfiction, um, but I should probably read more fiction too. <laughs> hey, we but, love it all. Um, yeah, it's all good though. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> Alex Kasprek is an investigative journalist and senior writer at Snopes.com. Uh, slowly uh, but surely fact-checking the world. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot for having me. This Pride Month, the country is going through an incredible reckoning around race and anti-black violence. For this week's PEN America Reading List, we bring you debuts from black LGBTQIA authors. As our team writes, the list is by no means comprehensive, but we gathered them nonetheless to celebrate those works' existence, the artists who created them, and the foundation they establish for reimagining the future. The list includes Brandon Taylor's Real Life, Daylight from Roya Marsh, Lot from Brian Washington, and many more. Check out that on our website, pen.org. And that's our episode for Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. Join us tomorrow for the Pen Pod. You can listen to all our episodes at pen.org. Follow us at Pen America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Sign up on our website for our daily Dare newsletter. That's where we track major stories about literature, free expression, and the news of the world. I'm Stephen Fee for Pen America. This is the Pen Pod. See you tomorrow. Thank you.